Welcome to the Kingsway Christian Fellowship Home Service. We hope that you'll be blessed as you listen to this audio sermon streamed live from Melbourne, Australia. Kingsway Christian Fellowship is a family Bible-based non-denominational church preaching Jesus Christ, based in Wonturner. Visit www.kingswaychristianfellowship.com. Now here's Pastor Gary Fitzgerald. Okay, well, praise the Lord and welcome church this morning. It is real joy to uh, bring the word and uh, I am excited to bring the word actually because um, uh, Sean has touched upon uh, aspects of the message this morning, even directly in things that I'm going to actually refer back to in the message today. But um, I believe that God will speak to our hearts as we continue on this series that I have been going through on the seven sayings of the cross. And so we have looked at a, a number of those already. So we're up to number four and it is found in the gospel of Matthew chapter 27. We can turn there. We'll read that in just a moment. But the, the fourth saying that Jesus speaks on the cross, um, really it can be described and it is a cry of anguish. That is what it is. The fourth saying is a cry of anguish from the soul of Jesus Christ. Deepest in his deepest heart and soul and mind, he lifts up his voice and speaks the words that we'll read in just a moment. But within the words that are being spoken and within the events that are taking place at this moment of time during the crucifixion, they are they reveal to us a glorious biblical truth that we're going to consider in this message this morning. And as I pondered and as I meditated upon these particular words, my heart is captured and my heart is absorbed with the reality of what is happening and what is going on and what the words of Jesus Christ actually mean when he speaks what he does in this particular text because there's no doubt that Jesus's heart is moved and moved with a deep sense of grief in light of what is going on. And when we capture that for ourselves, when we see it for what it is, we can't ourselves not be moved and overwhelmed with what the Lord has done, what he was doing at that moment in time of the crucifixion as Jesus hung there and spoke those words and the events of, uh, that were transpiring in and around him at that moment. And so it's important for us to understand not just what is happening, but why it is happening. And so we're going to go through this, and it's found in the words which we're all familiar with, and they are the words, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Profound words, powerful words, quite, um, uh, again, uh, words that are filled with distress, when we hear and see the words that proceed from our Lord Jesus Christ, because think about it for a moment, Jesus, uh, um, as uh, here he is in the garden of Gethsemane, just prior to this, we know that the, the Bible says that uh, his uh, disciples were all made to scatter all forsook him and he was left alone. 
and he was forsaken by men and by his own disciples. But Jesus himself said in relation to this, it doesn't matter because my father is always with me. That was his source of comfort, being the son of men, the son of God. He drew his strength from the fact that the father, he was in the father, the father was in him. And uh, here we have the issue of the, um, the Trinity there and the presence of, uh, of, of, the, uh, of the union of uh, the father, son, and spirit all there and Jesus is mindful of this but on the cross in the anguish of his heart of his heart he speaks these words my god my god why have you forsaken me and so what does this mean what does it represent i mean uh, you know is it broken fellowship uh, uh, between the, the godhead and the, tr the triune god no it's not that but there's something about the son of God in his human, in his humanity that is, is happening here that we must identify. And so let's go to our text. It's found in Matthew chapter 27 and we're going to read from verse 40. Um, uh, where are we? 29, next chat. Chapter uh, verse 45 and 46. Now the Bible says now from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, now, this is in the middle of the day, as we'll see. There was darkness over all the land. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, let's just stop and ponder these words and examine them in scripture and in the context of the Bible to draw out what is actually happening here. Because again, what's going on is as, as a glorious truth as it is, it is an overwhelming reality. So much so that the truth that is contained within this scripture and what's going on in this moment of time that led Jesus to speak this words, uh, these words is an offense to some. And, and, and for some, it is inconceivable that, 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 um, that what this truth represents could be happening. And so, therefore, they oppose it vehemently. There are those uh, who have a different theology, who have a different doctrine when it comes uh, to what is happening at this moment of time because they're offended at, at the doctrine of what we know as and what we believe as penal substitution. Now, what we mean by that, for those that may not be aware, is the word penal means punishment and substitution being obvious in place of. So Christ was punished in our place. This is the doctrine of penal substitution. And so when we look at what that means, this doctrine is an offense to some because uh, they claim that um, they, well, one, they don't understand uh, the, the, the word of God, but two, they say, well, God is love. And so if God so loved the world and, uh, and so forth, then how can Jesus suffer such punishment? How can the father draw back from him and that he would, uh, and, um, and he would bear the sin of all humanity and bear the punishment and bear the wrath of God in, in, in his own body? And so they say, no, that's, that can't be so. In actual fact, this, this doctrine is still around and it still has, uh, it's still um, uh, around us by various teachers. And one of those is a man named Stephen Chalk. 
And he has gone as far as to say that because they consider us as being tyrannical in the way in which we view this particular doctrine. And it is, I accept that, you know, um, Pastor uh, Werner said last week, a lot of people look at Christianity and the doctrine and they, they see it as a butcher's religion. Because when you look at it and you see the sacrifice of Christ and all that takes place and all that it represents, well, yeah, it is horrific. I've got no question about that. But it is exactly as God ordained it. It is exactly as God foreordained it before the foundation of the world. And so anyway, this guy, Stephen Chalk, He's gone as far to say in his criticism of this doctrine of penal substitution, he's gone to say these words, that it is cosmic child abuse. Now think about that. I mean, this is insane. He's labeled the doctrine of, of penal substitution where Christ was punished on behalf of us for our sins. This doctrine he considers to be cosmic child abuse. I mean, that is someone who has not an understanding of the cross of Jesus Christ. That in itself is an offense to the true meaning of the cross. Cosmic child abuse, in one, he doesn't understand the nature of God. Two, he doesn't understand the purpose of God. But nevertheless, this is a, a school of thought that is not just taught by this particular man, but it is, uh, it is actually more prominent than what you think among so-called Christendom and Christian circles. But such a doctrine is not Christianity, it is a false teaching. But I state that because uh, um, uh, what must be understood as we consider this doctrine this morning is that we are dealing with a demonstration of God's love, absolutely. You can't separate the two. There is the love of God. But what we're seeing is God's love between the Father and the Son because we will make that connection in just a moment as we proceed in this. But first we see that there is a love and a union between father, son and spirit that, that is a, that is in agreement with this and what's going on. And two, we're seeing uh, a demonstration of God's love for humanity for God. So loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, but in the events of the cross, especially within the words that we of our text that Jesus is speaking, we are seeing and identifying something that is sometimes not given as much attention as it should be, or is just overlooked when you look at what is going on, because right here is penal substitution. Right here, Jesus is bearing the punishment uh, in our place, uh, which leads him to a cry of heart and anguish of soul that says, Father, oh my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, in the cross this morning, what we see is God's inflexible holiness. And I say inflexible holiness because God will not compromise that holiness and the boundless love of God colliding in the cross of Jesus Christ, or in other words, let it be written in as it is in Psalm 85 verse 10. The Bible says these words, mercy and truth have met together righteousness and peace have kissed you see because in the cross you have not only a manifestation of mercy and god's love that is one side of the coin but you have the other issue of truth 
and the truth that is manifesting in these words of Jesus at the, on the cross revealed to us a side to the cross that we must understand and comprehend. And it is this, it is penal substitution. It is Jesus Christ uh, bearing the, uh, the punishment of sin in his own body on the tree. This is what the Bible teaches us. This is clearly biblical doctrine as we consider it this morning. What we are dealing with is sin in all of its horror. And it is horrific when you consider all the sins of humanity, when you consider our own personal sins, when you consider all these things, the sin with all of its horror and grace with all of its wonder, they come together in the cross. And that is why we want to consider what is going on at this moment as Jesus speaks, because it leads to a cry of anguish that comes from his mouth. Clearly, Jesus is in agony of soul, deep agony of soul. But I want you to understand that this was not forced upon Jesus. He's not just, um, you know, uh, one that's being told what to do. This is something that he's, uh, the, being the triune, the son of man, the son of God, he is in complete agreement with. I have come to do your will, O God, the scripture says. And it's his delight. But you cannot escape the human reality of what is going on as Christ or Jesus, the son of men. And so as our brother so put it, uh, aptly put it this morning, Sean, as he spoke in the communion, he referenced to the Garden of Gethsemane. And really, we can go back and hear which starts this process of suffering, because it was here that he spoke the words as he was in great, the Bible says he was in great agony of soul and he's sweating great drops of blood. And what does the Bible say? He says the words, not my will, but your will, O Lord. He says, if this cup can pass from me, so let it be. But if not, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus is bringing himself into perfect alignment and agreement with the will of the father. And this is not, and this becomes in the sense his will, but yet there is a human element that is taking place at this moment of time. And so isn't it interesting that our brother pointed out the fact that Gethsemane, in the Garden of Gethsemane, that word means olive press. This was where uh, there was an olive garden and here they would gather the olives and they would press those olives in order to draw out the sustenance of the oil that they would uh, produce. And so here you have Jesus Christ. His life is about to be offered for sin. And in the garden of Gethsemane, his life is being pressed. And uh, so much so uh, that the Bible says in Matthew, Matthew chapter 26, verse 37. Again, it's what Sean read earlier, but just in the gospel of Matthew, where it says he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed, even to death. I don't think we can comprehend this. The fact that he sweat great drops of blood is beyond our understanding. We see it and we can observe it and just try and get a glimpse of what it means. But to understand its reality is beyond our experience. And Jesus is being pressed right here in that garden of Gethsemane because he knows that he's going even 
to death and he will die a horrific death. But also Jesus knew what it was that was going to come to pass. You see, I believe that the physical pain and suffering that Jesus went through and endured doesn't compare to what happened right at this moment in our text. You see, as horrific as it was, I mean, again, we can't even imagine the level of, of pain and suffering that he endured physically. But on the cross, there was a pain and suffering that was not physical in any way. It was deep in his soul, and it led to these words when he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus knew what was coming. And it was this that broke his heart and led to him as in anguish and to, to speak those words. Now, let's look at verse 45 of our text for just a moment. It says from, that, from, from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, there was darkness all over the land. Now, we have to put that into context because, uh, again, according, uh, in actual fact, it's actually, that's referring to the fact that it was the sixth hour is midday. Because according to Jewish custom, the day began at six in the morning. And so at the sixth hour, it was uh, the middle of the day. It's 12 o'clock midday. And the Bible says there was darkness all over the land until the ninth hour. Three hours in the middle of the day, it is pitch black. Now, this is, this, you've got to understand what's going on here. Why has it gone completely dark in the middle of the day? And so, again, there's certain things for us to identify here. But the first thing I want to highlight is the fact that physical darkness is symbolic of Christ's separation from the Father. Okay? So what is going on in the physical realm is, a sim is symbolic of what has transpired or is transpiring in the spiritual dimension. And that is why at, when it is dark in that period, at about the ninth hour, after three hours, Jesus cried out with a loud voice and he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, this is not a cry of distrust has nothing to do with that. We know that, uh, that, that that is not an issue. It's a cry of distress. And the word forsaken here must be understood in the context of which it's being spoken. And so again, this is not abandonment where, he, you know, he's just left him and he's not, uh, and because the Bible says he, ha he won't leave his soul in, in Hades. And so, um, uh, we have this whole aspect of understanding in scripture, but the fact of the matter remains that Christ was forsaken. And he says, Far, uh, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me at this moment of time when there's for three hours, there is darkness over the land. You see, why is this happening? One, it's symbolic as we just, the physical darkness is, is symbolic of Christ's separation from the father. We established that now. You see, but God is holy. He is holy and he cannot look upon sin. And so it's, it's what's happening here that is, this, is the second aspect that I want to draw your attention to is that it's this. He's bearing the sins of mankind, of all humanity. You see, the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, the Bible says, For God made him, Christ, who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. But listen to the words. God made him who knew no sin 
And so here is Christ in his perfection and he is the perfect lamb of God and he is going to take upon himself the sins of the world and in doing so, God is going to make him who knew no sin to be sin for us. See, this is what's happening right at this moment in time. And as sin is being heaped, as the sin of humanity is being heaped upon Christ on the cross, there is a, is a separation and there, uh, of, of God the Father and says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because he is now bearing the fullness of man's sin at Calvary's cross. See, Jesus knew what it was to be a sin-bearing and a suffering servant. But you see, there's another aspect that I want to bring your attention to this morning. And it's not just the fact that there was the separation. It's not just the fact that, that he was bearing the sins of many. But you must be aware that he was bearing the punishment for sin. This is the third aspect. He's bearing the punishment for sin. You see, what does the Bible teach us? What's the punishment of sin? The wages of sin is death. And so here is Christ. He's, he's dying on a cross. You see, God, it's, the Bible teaches us that God cannot overlook sin. God is holy. He's righteous. He's a just God. And God must judge sin. And in doing so, it is being judged in Christ. And Christ is bearing that punishment. Where the punishment, the wrath, if you want to call it, the, uh, the, uh, of, of God is being poured out upon Christ there at Calvary. He's bearing the punishment for sin. You see, the punishment for sin that the sinner will bear is being placed upon Jesus Christ at Calvary. You see, let me think, let me put it this way. If the, the sinner does not, if the sinner is not saved, the Bible says that he goes to hell. And in, in, in being separated from God, eternal, what hell is for all that it is, what it is fundamentally is that it is eternal separation from God. Okay. That's what it is in first Thessalonians chapter one, verse nine, the Bible says these, the unbelievers, these shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord. And so here is Christ and he is on the cross and he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So he's bearing the consequence of sin, which is death. He's bearing the consequences of separation from the father as he bears the sin of many in his own body on the tree. And this is exactly what first Peter chapter two, verse 24 tells us when it says who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree. Now think about that because these, it's interesting to note that what is going on here, as we know, is all uh, being, is, is a fulfillment of Bible prophecy. In the Old Testament, what is going on? You know, in actual fact, verse 46 is a direct quote from Psalm 22 in the Bible. And so here it is, it's been taken from Psalm 22. And if you take the time to read and study Psalm 22, you will realize that this is a detailed uh, description of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. 
And so you read uh, Psalm 22, and again, like other scriptures in the Bible, uh, we look at it in, in, in retrospect, and we say this is all about the cross. It talks about the hands and the feet. Uh, it goes on and on in, in explicit details that can only be related to the crucifixion. And Jesus quotes from Psalm 22, and he says uh, in verse 1, where it says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So, but then there's another scripture, one that we're all familiar with, Isaiah chapter 53. Actually, if you have your Bible, you can turn there because I just want to reference to a couple of scriptures quickly because, again, we're establishing the doctrine of penal substitution where Christ is bearing out the punishment for sin in our place. Okay, now think about this in Isaiah 53. Look at verse five. The Bible says, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. Right there is penal substitution. That word chastisement, it actually means in, in, the, uh, uh, in the Hebrew, as you study this, uh, it means to chastise with blows. And Jesus was beaten and he was whipped and all that he suffered physically. And the Bible says that, that the chastisement for our peace was upon him. Or in other words, he was punished on our behalf. This is penal substitution. And so look at it again. Go to verse number six. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of all. See, that is, that is the punishment that Christ is bearing here on the cross at Calvary. Now look carefully again and go to verse 10 in chapter 53. Because these are words that, we, that are hard to understand but yet they clearly tell us about how much the Lord loves us. But more than that, it tells us the price he had to pay in order to purchase our salvation. So look at verse 10. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief when you make his soul an offering for sin. Think about that. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. And to put him to grief. Why? On our behalf. This is penal substitution. How anyone in their right mind cannot see at that, then they must not be reading their Bible properly. Because this is clearly in the Old Testament, as well as we're going to see in a moment in the New Testament, this is what we are taught. This is clear uh, for us in our understanding of the Scriptures. That Jesus Christ, not only did he bear the sin, he bore the punishment that was associated with it. And he, it was all laid upon him. And that's why he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? If you can, I want you to turn now with me to Romans chapter 3, verse 25. I have just established the whole issue of penal substitution there by drawing on some Old Testament text. But I want to see this now in the New Testament because in Romans chapter 3, verse 25, there is a very, very interesting scripture that I want to just unpack for you uh, so that we can identify it. 
The Bible says in verse 25, it says, whom God set forth, this is Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness. So again, to, uh, because of his forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed. So what he's talking about here is that God has sent forth Jesus Christ and it says as a propitiation through or by his blood. Now, this is very important because in the Greek word, this word propitiation, I want you to understand this. Now, the word carries with it an understanding uh, which uh, means to uh, uh, expiate. Or in other words, to define that for you, it means to make amends or to make atonement for. Okay, now this is very, very interesting. And as I proceed on this, I just want to point out, as it was brought out this morning, that we, we are in uh, the, the, the time of Yom, the Jews are celebrating Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. Now, Romans, this word propitiation is a direct reference to the Day of Atonement. And we're going to look at this and see it. But just, just go back to this aspect in the Greek thought of this word propitiation. It means to carry the thought of appeasing the gods. This was something that was done right throughout history um, where the nations would, uh, you know, they would uh, believe in the, these deities and so they would to appease the gods so that they wouldn't suffer wrath or anger or, you know, that, so that they would be looked after and all would be well. They would appease the gods and so much so uh, they would go to the extremes of, you know, child sacrifice, for example. And so somehow by sacrificing a firstborn or a child, that would appease the gods and, and they would be blessed. And so this type of a mentality has prevailed amongst humanity for many, many years, even up until today. I mean, even when you look at Catholicism and its teaching, it has um, it undermines the doctrine of penal substitution because uh, the whole doctrine of purgatory, for example, uh, says that you must pay for your own sins and you must suffer in purgatory for your own sins until somehow you reach a point of uh, uh, you qualify to go into the kingdom of heaven. So you can see how these, doc these teachings of men and these practices of men undermine uh, and the way in which they seek to appease God through these actions. Even in Christianity or Catholicism, I should say, because that's not Christianity. But even I've heard many a times of people in the Philippines, we hear it on the news here each year during Easter or Christmas or whatever it is, and uh, you hear of uh, people, you know, they get on their knees and they flagellate themselves and some would crucify themselves. And they somehow think by, 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 uh, by doing this, that they are making amends to God, that somehow they are appeasing God, that somehow this is, is, is um, uh, to be considered as, as noble. But it is such a foolish act. It is it is built within such stupidity and a misunderstanding of the scriptures because uh, you cannot appease God by doing these things. Actually, God looks at, uh, uh, at practices like that and he says, don't you know what I did to my son <laughs> that you would have to do go to that extreme to think that you could win my approval or my blessing. It's in, it's crazy. And so it is, but listen, what does the scripture say? Now listen carefully, because in, in, in Romans 3, verse 25, it says these words, whom God set forth as a propitiation. So in other words, God didn't ask man to appease him. 
God is appeasing himself in what sense? Because God is a holy God. God is, is a just God and sin must be punished. And God knows this. He can't overlook sin. That would make him unjust. So it has to be dealt with. And so God said, you know what? I don't want men to do anything for me. I'm going to do it for them. So God sent Jesus as a propitiation. And so God is satisfying his own and, uh, 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 and he's meeting his own requirement according to the law and according to the law of sin and death in that he's sending Christ to die upon a cross and to shed his blood on Calvary. See, this is a wonderful, wonderful truth. God in his holiness and in his justice, he did not extract the punishment for sin from us, although he will for those that will not believe for what he has provided, but he did it through his own means and he did it by sending his own son. And the blood of Jesus Christ is what pays the penalty for sin. The blood of Jesus Christ fulfills the obligations of the punishment and the purchasing of our salvation. And so this is penal substitution in the Bible. This is what the word propitiation is referring to uh, as Paul is using it and writing in the book of Romans. I want to bring your attention to another aspect of this word because if you study this word propitiation and you go through uh, the uh, various dictionaries and so forth, you'll find that it makes a reference. And this word for it means to uh, expiate, um, you know, to punish and so forth. But it also makes a reference and it says this in the strong concordance. It means the, the lid of the ark. Now, I want you to focus on this. The lid of the ark. It's making a reference. It's drawing to something. And it's talking about the lid of the Ark of the Covenant. It's related to the Old Testament. And it's, and it's important that we note this because this word propitiation, when you go back to the lid of the Ark, which is the mercy seat, as we know it in the Bible, uh, that is in the tabernacle temple there, what we begin to realize is this particular Hebrew word uh, for, for mercy seat or the lid of the Ark, as we know it, mercy seat, it is connected to the Hebrew word kafar. It means a covering or kofa. And so this is really, really significant because I want to just highlight this for a moment. In actual fact, can I just point out, and I bring this out because we've been studying the book of Genesis in our Bible study on Wednesdays, and uh, we just looked at Genesis chapter 6, um, and we're looking at Noah, and uh, we looked at the fact that when God commanded him to make an ark, he said that he was to, to lay a uh, pitch inside and outside of the ark. Okay. Now that word pitch comes from the Hebrew word kafar. And so again, uh, God, even in the book of Genesis, right in relation to what's happening with Noah, the ark itself gives us a hint and a type of what is to come. And so the word pitch there is where the word we get, the Hebrew word kafar, and it means a covering, and it is directly related to the day of atonement. Atonement, this is the word. And so this is very significant. Because the lid that was on the mercy seat or the mercy seat, which was the lid of the ark, what would happen on the day of atonement during the period of Yom Kippur, 
what did the high priest he would take the blood of the sacrifice and he would enter the into the temple he would go once a year only and he would go with that blood and he would pour that blood on the mercy seat and so and this would uh, uh, this would make atonement or covering this is the word kafar and so this is really really significant and so because and there the, the, they would have their sins for the next year taken care of because remember the blood of bulls and goats could never take away sin but the bible tells us that jesus after his death and crucifixion here he he went hebrews tells us that he went into heaven because what was on the earth was just a shadow it was just a type jesus went into heaven with his own blood and he laid it on that altar and it was poured on the mercy seat and there we he purchased our salvation after he suffered after you know can you think of an animal that was uh, an animal that is being slain and the blood that is being prepared for the offering or on the day of atonement they would take a goat and they would put their hands on that goat and they would confess all the sins of Israel. And then they would send that goat into the wilderness separation. See, Jesus bore the, the punishment of our sin. This is penal substitution. He is the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world once and for all his blood has done it. And so, so here we have God said, forth as a propitiation for our sins now can i just bring you back to noah's ark because the ark was covered inside and outside with pitch and that word pitch is the word kafar and so the covering now who is the ark symbolic of jesus jesus is the ark the bible says that we have fled from the wrath to come we have fled for refuge. We are in the ark, or in other words, we are in Christ. And we have been saved, the Bible says, saved from the wrath to come. You see, in the flood, when God's wrath was poured out upon humanity in that day, for Noah and his family who was in the boat, what protected them? You see, the pitch made the ark waterproof. And so therefore the, they were saved from the wrath of God and the, 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 literally the, the pitch itself bore that wrath, but protected them inside it. And that's exactly how it is with Jesus Christ that God set forth as a propitiation through his blood. And so in other words, he is the covering. Amen. He is the one that has through his blood cleansed us from all sin because he appeased the demands of the law. He appeased the, uh, the, the justice of God in that not only did he bear our sin, not only did he suffer separation from God, but he bore the punishment of our sin this morning. Oh, what a savior church. We're protected. We're, uh, we're protected in Christ Jesus. You know, in Ephesians chapter five, verse two, <clears throat> listen to this. And we walk in love. This is Paul's exhortation to the church. But he says these words, he says, walk in love as Christ also loved us. So clearly the cross is about love. There's no doubt about it. God so loved the world, but listen to what he says. For as Christ also loved us and has given himself for us, listen, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling aroma. 
You see, Christ gave himself as an offering and as a sacrifice to God. And, uh, and, and God would speak about those offerings. And when they were done according to the pattern and according to the word, God would say a sweet smelling aroma because it would satisfy the demand for sin. And without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. And so Christ shed his own blood. And the Bible says that his life was an offering and a sacrifice to God. And it was a sweet smelling aroma. God was satisfied with the perfection of Jesus Christ. God, him who knew no sin was made sin for us. And the demands that God required in his holiness and his righteousness and in his justice were all fulfilled in Christ Jesus. And when, when that was happening in our text, when it became dark at the, in the middle of the day, Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because in that moment, Jesus himself was bearing the sin of the world. He was separated from the father. He was bearing the punishment for sin. That's what led to that this cry of distress. And but it was still willing, but it was the reality of what was going on. And so what we, when we look at that, you know, it was, uh, I believe it was Charles Persian that said these words. He says, sin always exacts a payment. Always. When Adam and Eve sinned, what did God have to do? He had to, they covered themselves with fig leaves. God says they're not good enough. He clothed them with tunics of skin. And right from the beginning, we see sin always exacts a payment. Something had to die. And in this case, God made a substitute, which was an animal, but that was only a type of what was to come. And so Christ is the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We are in him. We are saved. And men, we have, we, we, we will not see the wrath of God. The world itself though is under condemnation. And if they are not saved, then they will experience the wrath of God. COVID is nothing compared to what is coming. What is coming to this world when the wrath of God is poured out as according to the scriptures, we will see immense suffering unprecedented according to the word of God. But for us who are saved, amen, as we conclude, we, we see this doctrine of penal substitution and we say, thank you, Jesus. I mean, it's quite overwhelming, but he did it and he did it. He was punished for my sin. He was punished for your sin in place of you, in place of me. We should have been on that cross. We should have suffered that death. And yet he did it for us on our half, on our behalf. And that's why we have that song that we sing, how deep the father's love for us. Or that great hymnist, Charles Wesley, who wrote, and he said in these words, can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died he for me who caused his pain for me who him to death pursued meaning that he died because of me and he says these words amazing love how can it be that though my god would die for me and that is the gospel of jesus christ what a savior church god bless you this morning amen
Oh, 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 oh,